it's two o'clock, I believe, and it's time for Fred to kind of guide us into issues that customers face. And particularly, are we talking about industrial customers? No. No? Not Just general? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Okay. And, and Fred, we've known each other a number of years. I'm sorry for that, for, on your, for your sake. But could you kind of tell our audience uh, what Tellit does and what you do within Tellit? And I'll hold that for you. So I will, uh, I'll definitely go through that here, Carl. Um, so I run the uh, IoT platforms business for Tellit and a lot of the strategic relationships for the company uh, globally. <coughs> and Tellit is an IoT enablement company. We don't do the end products typically, and we don't do the end applications, but there's an enormous amount of plumbing in the middle that makes, uh, makes IoT reasonable and, and affordable for people. So let's just get started. Um, the idea here is what makes IoT real? If I'm an enterprise, I have a different point of view than if I am a solution provider or an ASP. If I'm an ASP, I do one thing well. If I'm an enterprise, I have to do lots of things with IoT to really get to digital transformation. And we'll talk about what some of those things are and why an important uh, uh, consideration has to be given to an architecture when you start. So quickly, tell it. We, uh, I said we were the infrastructure kind of guys. We make the radios. We do connectivity globally. And we have a platform and software business that allows you to take and get value out of these deployed solutions. So end-to-end, -end, but we don't make the things, and we don't make the apps. We enable them to be made quickly. Who am I? So here's either my credibility maker or my credibility uh, blower. So I started my career in 1988, so all that means is I'm old, with IBM. IBM had a group that did, at the time, it would have been industrial IoT. No one called it that back then. We spun out in 2000 into a privately held company, and we, uh, we played for 13 years, and we created amazing IP, created a lot of customers, did a lot of neat stuff. And then we merged with Tellit in 2013, because they made millions of wireless devices that made millions of wireless connected things. So we became the entity that allowed them to take and get annuity revenue and use out of those devices and help their customers go quicker. And now, you know, here we are today, kind of a one-stop shop. We can help you from end to end on the enablement side. What does this mean other than I'm old? We've been doing this way before it was cool. We've seen things work and we've seen a lot of things not work and we're not just that smart but we're, we're we're experienced so let us share some observations so you don't have to make some of the same mistakes that many of our customers and, and even ourselves made long long ago so first of all architecture considerations if you're an enterprise so you not everything is greenfield you have to connect to the real world so real things require connectivity. You can't wait to just roll out new products if you really want to do digital transformation. If you don't talk to the real world, pretty much that's called IT. You want to be you know, industrial or Internet of Things, you need to talk to things. You need to be able to easily deploy and easily manage. So around lifecycle management, very, very important. You don't know where you're going to go tomorrow in your IT world. Ten years ago, manufacturing companies would not have been sending information to Google. 
Today, that's not uncommon. AWS, SAP's on-prem, they went to cloud. There's all kinds of things that are gonna change in the IT landscape, so you need to be very, very flexible. You need to provide things like remote managed access. So if you're deploying assets, you wanna get to them, how do you do as much integration and, and think about as, as many solutions as you can with your architecture? And I chuckled at the last one, you need the big F word. And the big F word is flexibility. Um, and when I think about flexibility, Fred, or Fred, thank you, James. Um, vendor neutral, you've gotta be flexible for who you work with. That's a four letter F word, James. Um, you gotta be system integrator friendly because solutions actually get done for a lot of enterprises by their system integrator partner. So when we look at a, an enterprise, take a, and I'll use a couple of examples, not by name, but there's a cosmetic company that makes cosmetics. And you think of them, oh, they must be a manufacturer. Well, they also have retail stores. They also have their own logistics and transportation systems. They're very green as a company, so they want to manage their energy. So when you look at one enterprise, they actually have five use cases in IoT. So they have to decide where are we going to start our journey, where do we need to go, and how do I have a, a reduced security threat level, reduced services, how do I keep it simple? I don't want necessarily five or ten vertical solutions to solve my enterprise problem. I need an enterprise architecture that can solve all my problems. So it's complex. The next thing that's interesting is it goes you know, beyond the borders of their network. So you've got connected supply chain, connected factory products, and connected customers. But the, the right side or the left side of this chart would be you know, public networks probably. Then you've got LANs. Inside a factory, you've got two different uh, types. You've got factory LANs and IT LANs. So the networks are complex. Then you know, you've got customer networks. Who knows where those are, but they're customer networks. It's interesting, and you've got to be considerate about that. So not only do you have different network problems, but now you've got lots of different applications. If I'm supply chain oriented, logistics, asset tracking, we'd heard from some asset tracking guys today. If I'm in the factory, I want to do things like predictive maintenance, manage OEE, operational effectiveness, et cetera. Or if I'm in the customer side, I want to work on customer affinity, I want to have a better experience. I want to potentially do things like warranty management with my customer. But there's a continuum of different applications. So if I had to do a unique solution for everything, every customer, every application, and I wanted to buy those turnkey from the market, I would end up with way too many different vendors and way too many different solutions to try to manage bunch of passwords, bunch of user experiences, all kinds of things that would drive an IT guy crazy when they talk about implementing digitization. So some important observations. Now, it's, it's interesting. Everybody thinks they can do this. So I say the Internet of Thing is easy. But the Internet of Things, plural, is exponentially harder. 
When you talk about all those different types of assets, types of devices, types of applications that you want to integrate, this now becomes a much bigger, complex problem. If it's on your workbench and you can make it work, that's great. But your core business, for example, is maybe making cosmetics in this previous example. It's not trying to figure out how to make your own devices, your own sensors, your own infrastructure, your own, your own, own, own across the board. So be cautious. And when we say it's difficult, right, why? What does it really mean and why? Now, here's a kind of a cool example. I saw earlier today there was an IT-OT discussion. If you're in charge of doing an IoT rollout or digitization project, or if you're a seller and you're with an SI and you're selling a project to a customer, your proposal stage, yeah, you're working, it's pretty okay. You win or you decide to commission the project, you're pretty happy. You go, you start, you're still all right. You get scope creep because you don't know what you don't know. Every IoT thing has discovery. Implementation continues. You're getting stuck because you've got devices you can't talk to. You know, it's got a serial port. What do you mean there's no IP address? All kinds of crazy things that happen when you get to OT. Then you've got to do some custom stuff. Then you go on, you get a data model, you get an app. Guess what? You're happy again. The challenge with this is nobody's happy when you're in the OT space if you're an IT guy right? They don't know what's down there. And I call this stuck at the edge. IoT isn't really about IT. I mean, it's great we talk about machine learning and big data and integration into ERP. That's the IT side of IoT. What makes IoT interesting is getting data and context from things that you never had access to before. It's on the OT side that most of the challenges come to us. And if you look at it, it's a tale of two different worlds, right? The IT guys are super comfortable up top. They have not a lot of clue about the, the bottom layers. Now, likewise, if I'm in a show like this and I'm talking to a bunch of OT guys and they have manufacturing sites or devices, they're really good on the bottom, but they don't know necessarily how to bridge up to the top side. So there needs to be some cooperation or you need to have tools that allow this to happen easily. You need an architecture that makes this happen. So I took that little graphic there and I stuck it in the plant because that's kind of where the plant is. You need that IT, OT integration if you're in a factory. But then you want to really realize some cool stuff. You want to integrate to your supply chain. You want to integrate to your products. You want to integrate for cognitive or, or machine learning solutions and other third-party clouds. And this is where we start thinking about a common architecture, whether you're inside your operations or whether you're outside your operations. And so architecture is important. And if I look at what happens on the inside, it gets back to all these OT things and all these IT things, and then this bridge in the middle, which if we start on the one of the first slides I showed, you need to talk to real world things easy deployment, device management, all these elements right down to the, the big F word of flexibility because you don't know what you don't know when you start a lot of these programs. You just want to be flexible enough with your, your architecture and powerful enough with your architecture that you can adapt. So what does this really mean? When I look at this, 
of real enterprise-grade architecture, you're going to have inside plant. Factories, buildings, building management systems. If you see something moving and you don't see a person moving it, that's called automation. So you need to attack basically the inside plant problems. You may have a lot of distributed sites for machines. You want predictive maintenance provided on your packaging machine by your packaging machine maker. You want to give them access, but you want to do it in a controlled way. There might be some sort of rules and policies you want to deal with. But you've got sites or, or distribution centers or retail stores. You have lots of sites, typically if you're a big enterprise. Or you have connected products. Maybe they're LoRa connected pallets. Maybe they're forklifts. Maybe they're trucks. You know, there's products as well that are connected in this in this business. And you may even have connected workers, depending on the industry you're in. But if I'm an enterprise and I do all those things, I don't, again, want to have lots of disparate solutions. I want to have a common architecture that I can build on. So this is where we think, you know, we've heard a few times platform first. But platform first to us means platform independent of your vertical platform independent of your use case, platform independent of your product or thing that you're connecting to. There's 600 plus platforms maybe in the IoT business, 800, I don't know, the pro it goes up every day. Um, I'm standing on a platform at an IoT event. This is probably considered an IoT platform. Um, most of the people that say they're a platform company support their application. There's very few broad, horizontal IoT platforms out there that have the kind of scale that an enterprise company wants. If you just want asset tracking and that's all you do and you're maybe a logistics company, you know, an asset management platform is probably what you need. But if you're an enterprise that cares about other things, you need to think about a broader platform. And it's not just about the cloud there. This is going to do the management, the connectivity, the, the data movement, or data delivery. Frequently, we're going to go to some other back end, right? And, and a customer's distributors might use Amazon, uh, cloud services. The, the customer themselves might be a Microsoft shop. So you've got to be flexible to move the data to other places. So again, back to flexibility and steering that data wherever it needs to go. And then we've got this, uh, this cool thing down here. If you're using you know, simple, simple technologies where you've got things like the chip alone, right? You're going to build a product that's connected and a service that's connected, and you want to be able to build those products and deploy them quickly, whether it's something like the pallet sensor we just saw that's LoRa. But if you wanted one that was you know, cellular-based, how do you do that that gives you, you know, much broader coverage? We've got a technology called OneEdge. And OneEdge takes all these flexibility and speed to market kind of architecture solutions and it puts them inside the module that we make. So it's all about device management. We talked about that. We talked about things like making some intelligent decisions on the edge, when the package moves, when the temperature gets too hot, send a message, those kinds of things. Embedded security, everybody cares about security. People don't want to think about it, but they have to think about it. Of course, connectivity services, if you're going to manage thousands of things, back to that 
plurality of IoT. You've got to be able to do it easily with an architecture that allows you to expand. And then, of course, enterprise integration. So I loved uh, John's presentation earlier when he talked about the system of record. You know, SAP's not going away. You've got so many businesses that have implemented you know, millions, tens of millions, or sometimes even more amount of uh, you know, time, energy, and effort around implementing their global MRP, ERP systems. You can't shake that stuff. It's gonna be around a long time. You've gotta feed it with better, uh, better technologies, better solutions. So we're back to where we started, right? You've got the first picture, trucks, factories, products, and customers. And when you think about this, you know, where do we play? We try to play across the spectrum with an architecture that's expandable, flexible, and very, very configurable. We don't lock you into a cloud. We don't lock you into an IT vendor. We don't lock you into a technology. We like to think about enterprise problems as being big and complex. So you have to be powerful and flexible. So let me just end on a quick video and then I'll take questions from you, Carl. At Telit, we have a unique portfolio of IoT modules, cellular connectivity, software, and platforms. But to bring IoT to life for some of the largest companies in the world, our team of geniuses is the real key. With unmatched experience and expertise from nearly 20 years of focusing solely on IoT, we have the best and the brightest minds ready to solve your challenges like consulting services that leverage not only internal resources, but a broad range of IoT ecosystem partners to develop and deliver end-to-end -end solutions. Certification and design review services to reduce costs and accelerate time to market. And IoT University to help you and your top leaders discover new insights with IoT to tackle everything business can throw at you. Plus, our partner ecosystem can help simplify every aspect of your IoT deployments like confidence centers around the world where you can tap into Telet selected partners with expertise on hardware, software, and mechanical component development. Whether you're designing a new IoT strategy, trying to develop your current strategy, or looking for ways to improve your network, our experts and resources are here to assist you in developing solutions. Learn more at Telet.com. Well, I'm not sure what happened at the end of that video, but that's okay. Oh, we're, we're down one? Uh, we're done. We're done. There's a thank you slide at the end, which oh. moved on. I think I think you ended up on YouTube. I'm not sure. Um, come sit. Are there questions from the audience? Tellit.com. <laughs> it hit. It flashed by. Okay. So I I, I think your point about uh, all the platforms is very valid and. The fact that we've got lots of people who are vertical applications and they came in from a very specific spot. They say, oh, we'll do everything, but in truth, they know what they, they're, they're from. When you talk to enterprises, does it start off siloed and a specific thing and the benefit you bring is the ability to expand past what they initially th thought about? Why don't you talk about how, how the enterprise works? Sure, so an enterprise might have it, well, it's actually interesting. It's a great question, Carl. We, we have some customers that began their IoT journey, big, 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 giant enterprises, who began their IoT journey with a division doing something cool and another division doing something for maybe uh, track and trace and another division or maybe their uh, 
uh, facilities team doing something around building management. So they might have three to five vertical solutions that they have purchased kind of asynchronously without organization in the big enterprise. Groups did it. As they saw their business changing and shifting more from an IoT solution to more corporate digitization, they realized that they could not expand and really realize their vision by working with a half a dozen siloed solutions. They needed to have a common data lake. They wanted to have context from silo A, maybe do an action to silo B or C because of some, some cross-correlation or need. And you really couldn't do that if you had five different vertical solutions. And they went out, did a big RFP that says, we need to do a sweep. We need to have a common architecture. Yeah, we need to talk to these five things and do these five applications, and we need 10 more. So their, their game, because they were early on, they were smart and they saw the trouble they were gonna get into if they continued, and they were bold enough to stop, rethink their architecture, and move on. And I think that's a great lesson for people who haven't started yet, right? Which is don't get started necessarily down a siloed path. Start with an architecture and an enterprise solution in mind and then move forward on your first use case. Okay, I buy what you're saying, but I'm curious about when you come into the enterprise. Are they in a do-it-yourself mode? Are they playing with you know, an Arduino board or you know, playing with Beagle boards and saying, hey, make this real for me, uh, or, go ahead. Yes, and yes, and yes. <laughs> There's a variety of customers. Somebody usually has an innovation lab, or they have an IoT center of competence, which they have, you know, Drinos and Beagle boards and Pies, and, and they're playing, and that's when we talk about scale, and they love the idea of the Internet of Thing is easy, because most of them can make their one use case work on a lab bench, but they could never imagine how to scale it. And frequently they think they can until you start asking them some key questions about zero touch provisioning, device management, over the air updates, security, auditability. When you start asking real corporate guys those kinds of questions, they realize that it's a science project that they've worked on, they've understood the use case, but they don't necessarily understand how to scale. And what about the ROI aspect of it? You know, if they're if they're sitting there and they're they're kind of self-contained in what they're doing, they're kind of missing the issues around connectivity. They're kind of missing the issues about overall maintenance. Maybe having managed service. Uh, you guys offer managed service functionality for some of your clientele, right? Yeah, I mean, ROI is always a difficult challenge. Um, every use case is different. Every enterprise looks at the world differently. I, I frequently say that you do this kind of stuff for three reasons, right? Make money, save money, or, or stay out of jail, or right. jokingly compliance. The easiest ROI is save money, because you know that I didn't do a truck roll, I saved $118, or whatever it cost, and you could calculate that. And that's why a lot of early IoT solutions were based on saving money, right? AMR, yep. you didn't have to go read the meter. Right, it was a it was an offset of labor, or an offset of a process. That ROI is predictable. As soon as you say make money, now you've got somebody in sales that has to sign up for a number on a service that that company's probably never done. So the sales guys want to get really conservative, and it's hard to 
predict an ROI on a make money deal. And then there's compliance. Compliance is usually the easiest because you just have to do it and you want to do it in the most affordable way possible. Years ago, we did a deal with a company that does airport de-icing and our government turned uh, glycol into a controlled substance that you had to pick it up. So they needed to measure how much you sprayed on the plane, how much you picked it up, you know, weigh it, do um, specific gravity to find out how much water was in it and then either pay a penalty. They didn't change the way they de-iced airplanes, but they had to do this because of the compliance reasons. So there it's really not an ROI. It's either be in the de-icing business or not be in the de-icing business. So the RF, I guess the ROI is infinite then. Right, right. But it's, a, it's usually a blend of those three. Um, and a lot of times these innovation centers inside of an enterprise won't really be thinking about ROI. They'll be thinking about use cases. That's what they're paid to do. But when you do a real deal with an enterprise, somebody in the room cares about the return the scalability, and how they're going to get true enterprise value. Right. Now, one of the things we've talked about in the past together is the failure rate and how high it is in, in IoT. When you're sitting there and you bring a stable platform to bear on, on things, how do you make it so that they um, look at the entire project and understand what's possible rather than just sitting there and basically saying, here's my, here's my beagle board, go make me real now. Yeah, I mean, I, if you look in the rearview mirror, and actually it's quite a ways back now, right. but there were a lot of failed science projects in IoT, and every industry will start in IoT, and you'll see failed projects around those industries, but if, if you really worry about your business, and that's the products you make, and what your customer needs, and you worry about both ends, and you don't force yourself as a company to try to do all that middleware plumbing, connectivity, connectivity management, and the devices, then your your success rate's much higher. And we engage with them, we work with them. Things like the one-edge technology that we're doing in our narrowband modules, it's really so easy to use. You know, you, you don't need to be an IoT expert to really use this. We're trying to take the complexity out. And we're seeing a lot less, you know, failed initiatives when they're trying to use pieces and parts and architectures that make sense. If you're a standalone do-it-yourselfer, you're going to potentially come against some challenges. So where should we take all these folks who are um, platforms that really aren't platforms? Do we turn them into systems integrators? For, you know, where should they be other than you know, um, uh, consolidated into one unit? What's I, I think it's, it's pretty correct. You've got guys, you have companies. You have companies that created really great ASP solutions or applications for a specific vertical or for a specific use case. And out of necessity or maybe out of ignorance, not being a bad word, just they didn't know, they built a lot of their own plumbing. If they were really early in, they built a lot of their own plumbing. I mean, heck, people used to actually build data centers, remember? Yep. Right? So now there's tools, there's services. You go to AWS or Azure. You know, in the IoT space, you don't have to do a lot of this stuff anymore. You can subscribe to mature services like ours, and there's a few others. But most of these ASP vertical guys that want to, you know, extend their platform and start finding ways to get into the bigger enterprise business, I think most will find it's hard. 
it's it's uh, a lot of people to do a lot of work, and their expertise is actually addressing their market, and we're not an SI. We're not an SI, and we're not a, a product maker. So it's a very complimentary solution for them to engage with us, to extend their solutions with a standard platform, and their customer doesn't really need to ever know. It's, it's the stuff in the middle that makes it work, but it's not the brand that a customer will see. So you've mentioned AWS and, and Azure, and um, lots of people here would think, okay, well, that's the platform. Can you kind of talk about the distinction about what you're managing in the way of connectivity and other parts of the, the process and what Azure and AWS do? So, you know, you look at the IT, the data center platform, and application enablement platform, and when IoT started, a, you know, application enablement platforms were the IoT platform, which is really not the case anymore. Now there's an IT level space, and there's an OT and connectivity level space, and those spaces are almost mirroring that IT-OT dichotomy that I threw in the chart. We're in the middle down, and we're really good at it. We don't want to be a data lake. We don't want you to manage your storage with us. We'd rather deliver data to the right destination or the right application and allow that to, to work well. Likewise, uh, the, the big data guys, whether it's the IBMs, even the MindSphere guys, right, the AWSs, the Googles, they don't have the context to do things like cellular provisioning, LoRa integration. You know, you talk about lightweight M2M and some of the new standards. You know, they think about a persisted TCP connection. You know, and that's not IoT, right. as you know. So it's just not what they're good at. And frequently, their marketing departments will be way out over their skis saying they do everything. But a lot of the projects get stuck when they actually get down to that last mile where they have to deal with the network, deal with a different variety of things and protocols. And that's when we come in and, and try to help them and they understand the value. Now, now you're acting as an MVNO from time to time, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so. So you want to, for some of these people, they've got global issues, right? And I don't think they understand the swivel chair problem that they face, you know, trying to implement in one country versus another with one operator versus another. Can you kind of talk about how you speed up their solutions there? So connectivity isn't connectivity, isn't connectivity, right? They're different in different countries, different bands, different services. Um, if you're in Europe, you might be deploying on a uh, an Ericsson provisioning engine for one of the operators. If you're here in the US, it might be a Cisco Jasper provisioning engine. And if you're crossing both, you have a swivel chair and you're trying to get the context of your connectivity and manage it over in this operator and then over in this operator and that operator. What our, what our platform is really good at is it's, it's good at one, homogenizing that. We have API integration to give you one pane of glass to manage your connectivity. So it's not just about the data plan, it's how do you manage it. And it's taking the connectivity context, quality of service, rates, charges, whatever the context is of that connectivity, and marrying that with the device and the application context. And a great example is, let's say I'm doing a, uh, I geofence something, and I really don't care where it is much, 
maybe once a day that it's inside the geofence. But if it leaves a geofence, I want real-time traceability. So I want my application to say, I've left the geofence. I want to change my data plan to a higher level data plan, and I want to track it every three seconds because I need to recover it quickly if it's a high value good. Or things like amber alerts. I can take pictures of a roadway and send stills and understand flow and congestion. I don't need streaming and license plate recognition. But if I have an amber alert, I want to immediately switch on all those cameras to a super high bandwidth. I want to stream that information in so that I can do the kind of analytics I might need and not have to go from one system to another, but do it in a very automated way. So I'm, I'm going to put you over to the other side of the company, and I apologize for this. But uh, talk to me about eSIMs and embedded SIMs and how you see that hitting the industry. So we're, we're definitely going down that journey. We have a portfolio of products called SimWise, where we have basically an embedded SIM, uh, whether it's an eSIM or an embedded SIM. The customer kind of usually doesn't care. But you don't have a plastic SIM. Think and, of it and, simple. And I apologize. I think you've got to explain eSIMs to the clientele as well or have me do it either way. So today, there's a couple of ways if you don't want a plastic SIM. You either have a little SIM chip, an eSIM that's in this SOC on the module, or there's something in very secure uh, memory that you can't get to that's got the credentials of the operator in it. And those are kind of the two ways to do SIM provisioning without actually a plastic SIM. And when you talk about really tiny devices that are going to shake and roll and rattle, a, a plastic SIM and a SIM carrier are just a, a negative. You know, cost a couple of bucks, and it's a failure point. So if you can put it inside the module, really the better, cheaper, and safer you are. Um, but yeah, that's, that's coming upon us quite quickly now. A lot of the operators were generally hesitant. They wanted to be in the SIM business to control the customer. But I think the needs of the market are pushing a lot of them more to something that's a little more, a little more flexible. And, and you see an earlier adopter mar marketplace there. Is this going to be automotive playing with it first, or where do you think it's going to end up? Well, I mean, th the first one that happened, and nobody knows and thinks about it much, is uh, some of the Apple products. You know, they were big enough that they forced the issue. But consumer goods, well, you get the super high volumes, and then it'll trickle down to the higher volume use cases for IoT, like automotive. Okay. So I had this question about systems integrators. It, um, to your point, we've been improving on our, our implementation strategies. Um, are you seeing systems integrators taking a greater role right now, or are we still in a point where the cli clientele are coming to you and you have to either do it yourself or push to a systems integrator for your a lot of the um, a lot of the big enterprises staff for operations they don't staff i mean many of you are probably from big enterprises or you work for big companies you have just enough people to run your business so when you do a big project of new work on top of running your business cuz you know while you're doing the project you still have to run the business frequently they'll bring in a system integrator of choice that helps them implement something new. So more and more, we're seeing some of the big implementations being worked on by big system integrators. And the bigger the company, usually the bigger the system integrator. So the Deloitte's and the Accenture's, uh, the LTTS uh, kind of companies we're doing engagements with quite successfully, some of them. Uh, when you think about a small boutique system integrator, 
they're going to be focused on maybe a vertical or a use case. And they're really good at that too. So even a big company that wants to start with their first vertical, we might bring in an asset tracking SI to do the asset tracking vertical use case, even though they're using a big enterprise architecture. And then maybe you'll switch to another system integrator that does uh, building management and you know, kind of move along if they don't want to have a, a big giant guy show up. The giant guys end up being in a lot of like the smart city deals, right? Right, because they're complex. Um, to get value out of a smart city, they have to do all these things pretty close together because it's the interaction of all these solutions and assets in a city that make it smart. A smart city isn't a city with smart lighting. That's called smart lighting. Right. Right. It's it's putting them all together, and then you usually will have a, a big a big system integrator involved. But they're starting to get much more tuned into the market. Okay, and one of the things that's come up, but not as as much as I would think it would, is the 2G, 3G sunsetting going on. And given the fact that you're in the module business, that should be impacting you. What do you what do you see in the marketplace right now? Um, 2G, 3G, sunset, 5G rollout, uh, narrowband rollout. Those are all geographically dependent, right? In Brazil, it's all 2G still. And they're rolling out narrowband, some LTE for sure. But 2G's not going away. Well, there's a lot of 2G still in Europe. Now you can't find 2G anywhere in North America. So when you're building a product in our hardware business, it's all about like LTE with 2G fallback or 2G with narrowband fallback, or narrowband with 2G fallback. So you've got to be aware and smart. Uh, we've got a smart guy from our module team here, Nathan Lee's in the audience. If you've got real questions, ask him. Okay, okay. Any questions from the audience? Oh, quiet again, you know, lurkers. Uh, anyway, um, you ever been in a standards body? Yeah, 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 as a matter of fact, you know, you know that situation where you're trying to get voting done and all you can do is make people hum because otherwise no one's going to hold up their hand one way or the other. I'm okay with no more questions. <laughs> so anyway, um, please give Fred a round of applause. Thank you so much, Fred. Thank you, Carl. Okay, so it's wrap-up time now. So what did we learn today? Well, we start off with an amazing new um, capability to get the price down tremendously on uh, on modules. Um, we had a great we had a great discussion about what's going on in the industry overall and how we can impact um, the people here at Modex. Uh, let's see. Then uh, we did uh, a whole thing about about productivity and design with. Um, with Access, where they're managing a database functionality and keeping us aware of the opportunity to basically take things cradle to grave. And while they didn't use the word digital twin, it really was a digital twin taking you through all the data analytics that you had to do. Um, we then had a conversation with Jason from CallPass about fleet management and asset tracking and what's going on with there. And then we had a discussion with uh, Tom Nelson from EveryNet and the opportunity to take advantage of LoRa, and I believe they talked about a nationwide deployment here in the U.S., which is news. And uh, last but not least, um, Fred and I had a great conversation about basically the fact that the word P for platform is not necessarily a positive word, and you have to learn 
from what they actually are talking to about. What you want is a horizontal platform. Uh, companies like Amazon, uh, Azure, they all are partnered with a lot of people in the IoT space, but the truth of the matter is they're not the people who are bringing connectivity. That's normally with their carrier relationships or with other parties, and you need that integration. So that's pretty much the wrap-up for today. Tomorrow we're going to deal with a lot of in-building warehousing stuff and what's associated with managing those kind of situations. And with that, thank you, everyone.